Well, good morning. Today we continue in our sermon series, Made for Mondays, maximizing the glory of God in our vocation, in our calling. I I use that word vocation intentionally instead of the word uh, workplace or job because I want us to understand that um, we are glorifying God in what we do, whether we receive a paycheck or not. We have all been called and gifted to serve the common good in some way. So whether uh, you are employed or unemployed or self-employed or whether you are retired or you're a student or whatever, a stay-at-home mom, in, in any role and in any phase of life, we can glorify God by doing excellent work, by developing healthy relationships and by viewing and embracing our vocation as ministry. I've uh, recognized a couple of things over the past couple of weeks. One was, um, why do I like this logo so much? I'm just so totally attracted to this logo and its colors, and then it finally dawned on me that it reminds me of my favorite childhood toy. Man, and talk about excellent work, man. Back in the day, they made those out of steel. It was indestructible. I mean, I used to ride it, you know? Imagine, that thing, it, I love that. Okay, so I'm, it's, that, that is work, baby, right there. The Tonka truck, hard to beat. The mighty Tonka dump truck. Uh, recognize something else, that's with the help of Sam Yider, is that this sermon series parallels our mission statement. WLS family, we exist to worship Jesus, love each other, and reach our world. And last Sunday, Sam talked about the fact of it's important to do excellent work because excellent work is a form of worship. Doing good work is worship because it reflects the truth of our creator and redeemer who is always working and who does all things well. Now, today we're going to talk about the importance of developing healthy relationships at work. And of course, that has everything to do, as we'll see, with learning to love and serve each other. And then uh, next week, we'll conclude the series as we talk about embracing our work uh, as ministry. And when we intentionally do that, then, of course, our, our work, our vocation, our calling is a part of reaching our world. And so it reflects kind of the heart of who we are, this series on work. So let's dive in. Um, answer this survey in your head. <clears throat> what do you love most about your job? Is it the nature of the work? Is it your coworkers, or is it the amount of pay? Your time's up. Next question. <clears throat> the opposite of that. What, what, what causes the most stress at your job? The nature of the work, your coworkers, or the amount of pay? Now, I'm willing to bet that if, if we could actually get the numbers back, that number two would be the top one Top answer in both those questions. Whether we're talking about what you love most about your job or what causes you the most stress in your vocation, it would have to do with your coworkers. And I'm not just guessing. Okay, there's a lot of research that's done on this about the importance of healthy relationships, good relationships in the workplace. There was a Harvard research study that found this out. 70% of employees say friends at work is the most crucial element to a happy working life. 
In other words, if, if we have good, healthy relationships at work, then we're motivated to come into work, we like to come into work, we're, we're glad to collaborate at work, we buy into the whole mission of uh, the business or the, co- the company, and it just produces a, a, a lot better environment. So friends at work is, is crucial and critical for enjoying our job, our work. That same study found this out. 58% of men and 74% of women said that they would refuse a higher-paying job if it meant not getting along with coworkers. In other words, healthy relationships, good relationships, is more important than money. It's more important than money, at least to women. <laughs> that's not all. They, they even said that uh, uh, having healthy relationships at work is more important than uh, even how your boss is. Well, I think, oh, the boss, you know, people... People don't leave jobs, they leave bosses. Well, uh, there was a long-term study done by the University of Tel Aviv, and it's very interesting because what they expected to find were the the negative contributors to uh, work, like long hours and the the kind of the nature of the work and mean, nasty, ridiculous bosses, managers. That's not what made the biggest impact, both positively and negatively. Here's what they found. They found instead that the factor most closely linked to health was the support of coworkers. The meaner their colleagues were, the higher their risk of dying. This was a long-term study, and they found that those who had difficult relationships, did not have good relationships, did not have peer support, healthy relationships at work, were 2.4 times more likely to die during the course of this study. So the next time your coworker is giving you a headache at work, you can say, you're killing me. <laughs> Literally. And he or she will probably say right back at you. <clears throat> but you know what? All of this research about the importance of healthy relationships at work, it's just confirming what the Bible uh, has been telling us from the very beginning. In Genesis 2, we read that God created Adam and uh, we read this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So he says, here, get to work. So physical manual labor is not part of the curse. It existed before sin came into the world. If, if no one had ever sinned, we'd still be working, all right? It's a good thing. Point well taken, but something isn't right. Something isn't quite right yet, because almost the next thing out of God's mouth is this. It is not good for the man to be alone. And so he creates Eve, and we have not only the first marriage, but also the first teamwork of humans, the first uh, employee team to work together. It's as if God is saying, hey, Adam, get to work. I got a job for you. It's an excellent job. Uh, You are to represent me uh, by ruling over creation, that's to cultivate all the potential and possibilities of creation, but you're, you are not to do it by yourself. It's, it's not, you are not meant to do this. You can't do this alone by yourself. You're going to need to do it in teamwork, in community. And that's God's design and plan. Work, from the very beginning, uh, was meant to be a relational activity. Work is a relational activity, and this is, should be no surprise to us. It's no accident. It's the image of God in us. We actually see the ultimate healthy working relationship within the Godhead. 
The Trinity is all about teamwork. God is three in one, working in perfect harmony and unity. We kind of get a glimpse of this right away in the Bible in Genesis 1 where we read, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Well, that's a little mysterious. It becomes very explicit uh, when Jesus talks about it in the New Testament. And one time the Pharisees are giving Jesus a hard time because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. And this is how Jesus responded to them in John chapter 5. He says this, My father is always at his work to this very day. Sam talked last week about the fact that God is a worker. And Jesus says, my father, he's been working. He continues to work. He's working right up until now. And I, too, am working. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. Now, that is a clear claim to deity, right? I do what God does. And the people heard him right because they got mad. They wanted to kill him. Uh, But what it also shows you is that Jesus, the Son of God, works in tandem with the Father and in dependence on him. They work together, and, and, and nowhere do we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working more closely together than in our salvation. Because it's the Father who was the author of salvation and sent the Son into the world. And it's the Son who became flesh and blood, a human, in order to live the life of obedience that you and I couldn't live and then give his life on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for sin so that the wrath of God could be averted and his justice satisfied and he could forgive us for our sins when we repent in faith believing. And then the Spirit is the one who regenerates us and applies all the benefits of salvation. What a wonderful God working together in harmony and unity, and he's created us to reflect that as we work together in harmony and unity. Great. Super. Let's go home. Well, there's a problem, right? There is a problem. Healthy relationships are hard, almost too impossible. Work relationships are challenged. Uh, Maybe the hardest thing of all is really good, healthy, quality relationships. Healthy teamwork, it's, it's elusive. It's fragile. It breaks easily. It's the exception, not the rule. So for many of you, um, working with uncaring, unfair, unreasonable, cutthroat or incompetent co-workers makes your weeks painful. I expected to hear amens on that, but okay. (laughs) You feel that very keenly, and that's why you're frustrated. So why why are healthy relationships so hard to develop? Well, work relationships are challenged by sinful attitudes. We bring sinful attitudes to it. We are broken, and so is our work. In Genesis 3, uh, God tells Adam and Eve, after they've sinned, he says, one of the consequences of your sin is going to be that there's, there's going to be tension and division and disunity where there was meant to be harmony 
and unity, and that tension in relationships is going to affect every aspect of life, including work. We were meant to reflect God by working together in community, in harmony, in unity, uh, to rule the world together. But instead, we're going to want to rule over each other. And that's going to cause a lot of conflict. So pride and selfish competition and jealousy and fear tend to corrupt and poison our work relationships. So that DNA of self-centeredness, of selfishness, it's, it runs deep. Let's just be honest about it. And it produces attitudes like these. Pride of position. I'm better because I'm a manager or because I make more money or uh, because I get invited to the strategy meeting or I'm, I've, I've got the right group, the in-group of friends, and so I feel like I have status and position. I take pride in that. Of course, if you feel a sense of pride of status and position, then you have to defend that position. And so you go into the defensive mode, and you gotta, you know, you gotta keep your turf, you gotta keep your territory, you gotta keep your position. So you do things like, I'm not gonna share information, I'm not gonna help you, I, I gotta defend my advantage over you. The last thing I'm gonna do is help you. It shows up in subtle ways. Has this ever happened to you? You write an email, chick, 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 chick. information, right? Knowledge. And then you start to fill in the recipient list. Who's this going to? And you put a name in, and then you stop and you take it out. And if you're really honest with yourself, you did that because you want to keep that person in the dark on purpose. You want to keep your information for you. You don't want to share that information because sometimes we feel like information is power. And I want to defend my turf, and I'm not going to share information. I've done that. Have you? Of course, you know, the epitome of pride is the it's all about me attitude. So my priority should be everybody's priority. What's urgent for me should be urgent for everybody. we got to work on my stuff and my thing because that's the most important kind of thing. And so we have this tendency because of sin to either make work into an idol, and when we make work into an idol, then, you know, we, um, we look at our boss and we say, hey, that's the job I want. So we see the boss as an obstacle, and uh, we see our coworkers as competitors because they want my job. That poisons the atmosphere. Or sometimes we make work into an idol, or other times we can tend just to be idle at work. Lazy, all right, just getting through. And when, we, when we're idle at work, we resent our boss and we complain to our coworkers. And there's a cost to that. A Gallup poll uh, recently noted that 52% of employees are not engaged at work. So over half of employees are not actively engaged at work because of bad relationships, among other things. And you know what, the, there's a cost to that. Here's the cost to it. It's pretty incredible. Not engaged workers cost as much as $550 billion in lost productivity every year. $550 billion. But you know what? I don't, I, don't, I don't really care about that so much. Okay, what I care about is the fact that there's lost opportunity. 
When we are not engaged actively pursuing and developing healthy relationships uh, in our vocation, then we are forfeiting the opportunity to reflect God in this world, to be salt and light, to, to provide a context for ministry because we've done good work and we've developed good relationships and therefore have a platform to speak into people's lives. What, what, what scares me is that that's some of us. We've made work into an idol or we've become idle at work and therefore lost the opportunity to be able to speak into people's lives. But none of this is new, right? This isn't new. I mean, there's this tragic long line of this kind of thing in the Bible. Cain kills Abel because he's jealous of him. Uh, Jacob deceives Esau in order to get the... Um, the birthright, and the blessing. Um, Joseph's brothers sell Joseph into slavery because they're jealous of his position, his status, in their working relationship with their father. King Saul, of course, spends a lot of time, goes kind of crazy trying to capture and kill David because he feels threatened by David that David wants his job. It just keeps on going. You think of Daniel. Of course, Daniel's co-workers, his colleagues, tried to get him killed. They got him thrown into the lion's den because they didn't like his status, his position, his job, and, and they wanted to take it from him. And we might hope that in the New Testament it gets better. But you even think Paul and Barnabas split up over an argument, okay? And here's the kicker. Even Christ's disciples had this tendency to argue among themselves about status and who's the greater, who's the most important, who's going to sit at the right and left of Christ in his kingdom, and these kinds of things. And they didn't just do it once. It seems like there was a pattern of it. In fact, do you know one time when they did it? Jesus had passed around the bread and passed around the cup and said, this is my body, and this is my blood given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do you know what the next conversation at the table was? Who's the greatest? Right when Jesus was about to give his life, it's jealousy and pride and turf and all these things that make uh, relationships difficult going on. What does Jesus say to that? How does he respond to that? Well, he says, listen, the, what, how you guys are talking are like the kingdoms of this world. That's how the leaders in this world treat people. They lord it over them, and they're all about pride and position and turf and territory and all that kind of thing. But listen, I'm calling you to my kingdom, and my kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And this is what he says, first in Matthew 20. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, I've come to serve even to the point of death in order to redeem you, to purchase you, to buy you out of slavery to sin and death and Satan. I am serving you. And, and he is, like he said, just like his father who has been working and continues to work, Jesus has been working and continues to work, and he's continuing to serve us. And he calls his followers to do the same. Listen to what he says to them uh, in the context of the table. They're at the Last Supper. They've, they've just taken the bread and they've taken the cup. And now they're arguing about who's the greatest. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 22. For who is greater, 
The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it the master of the house who's eating at the table or is it the servant who's bringing the food to the table or taking the order and bringing the food to the table? Who's greater? Well, the answer is obvious, right? Is it not the one who is at the table? That's how this world thinks. But listen to this. But I am among you as one who serves. This is the Lord of creation through whom all things were created. He spoke galaxies into existence. And he says, I live among you. I'm your king. I'm your teacher. I'm your Lord. But I live among you as one who brings the food to the table, not as the one who sits there and eats it. Now is the time to serve like Jesus served us and continues to serve us. But there is a future. Look what he says. Verse 28, you are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. There will be a reward. In fact, earlier in Luke, Jesus talks about the fact that he will be the one who serves. Again, Jesus serving us. You'll sit at the table and be served, but now is the time to follow me and be like me. So the operating principle of the gospel here is servanthood. The operating principle of the gospel is servanthood. You have a new master. You got a new boss. Did you know that? You got a new boss as a believer, and he is humble. In fact, he is one who serves. So you're working for Jesus now. Whether you have a full-time job, a part-time job, whether you're self-employed, unemployed, whether you're working in ministry in the church or whether you're working in the secular sector, whether you're a student, a stay-at-home mom, or retired, Jesus is your boss. You are working for him. And that gives us great freedom. It, It gives us the freedom to serve others because Jesus has so completely and fully served us. He has graciously and freely loved us. He has redeemed us with his death and resurrection. And all of our needs, our our needs for security and significance, our uh, needs for being loved and having purpose in life, they are all completely met in Jesus Christ. He's given us all that. We have it all in Jesus. And therefore, all we have to do is pay it forward, pay it forward, what Jesus has done for us We pay it forward, we do to others, because he has served us so incredibly, then then we can freely and graciously serve our boss and serve our coworkers and serve our clients, because God has been so good to us in Jesus Christ, as that floods our soul, we can make the choice to be good to others. So you've got a new boss, right? You've also got a new calling, a new assignment, if you will. And it's to love God and love your neighbor. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's your new assignment. No matter what your vocation, your job, what you do, that is your overarching marching orders, if you will, from your boss, Jesus, is to love God and to love your neighbor. Now, if you've been paying attention to the sporting world this week, 
Drew Brees was lambat. Okay, Drew Brees, who's he? He's the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints football team. All right? And um, he gets lambasted because he did a short clip for Focus and the Family for a Bring the Bible to School Day and is getting all, called all kinds of names. And so he did another about 15-second video just as a response to it. And he said this. He said, listen, I live my whole life by two principles. And here they are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't matter who your neighbor is. That's what I live my life by. Well, he got it. He knows that as an as a NFL quarterback, Jesus is his boss, and his calling is to love God with his whole heart and to love his neighbor. He understands it. Do we? Do we understand that? That we have a, a, a new boss and a new assignment, and that the workplace, your vocation, that's the arena in which you honor and worship God, and you do it, first of all, by loving God, but the second most important way is to love your neighbor. And guess who your neighbor is? It's not just the person living next door to you. Your, your neighbor is also the teacher across the hall the business person in the next office, the retiree volunteering with you, the student at the next desk, the guy at the next lathe, the cashier on the next line, the other officers in your squad, the engineer on the opposite side of the desk. You are called to love all of those people with whom you daily rub shoulders. That's the new assignment that you've been given because of faith in Jesus Christ. And he empowers us to do it. Yeah, money's important. You got to earn money to live. Yes, advancement in your career has value. It's a good thing. Yes, you want to help your boss and do a good job. But listen to this if you take anything away today. You are in your vocation to learn how to love God and other people better. That's why you do what you do. You're in your vocation to learn to love God and Love other people better. So what does that look like? Right? What does that look like? Here's some, here's some practical applications. There are many, many, many ways to apply this. But first of all, we need to approach our work. If, if that's our calling, we've got a new boss, Jesus. He's humble, and he serves, and he serves us. And the reason why we do what we do is to learn to love God more and to love others better, to serve them. Then, first of all, we need to have genuine humility. We need genuine humility. You don't have to be known as the smartest or most important person in the room. Even if you are the most, <laughs> even if you are the smartest person in the room, you don't have to be, hey, listen, Jesus was always the smartest person in the room. Okay, and he washed people's feet. Okay, and you, you, you will never be asked to stoop as low as Jesus stooped to redeem you. So we need to have a, we need to have an authentic, genuine humility about our lives. What does that What does that even look like practically? Um, be helpful. Help others. Put the needs and interests of your coworkers even ahead of your own. When they need your help, when they need information, when they need skill and expertise and mentoring, offer yourself. And sometimes that can feel like a great cost. I got my stuff to do. Did you ever watch the, the great British baking show? Man, I'm loving that show. When's the next season coming out, man? What's taking forever? 
It's been in the oven too long. Um, It's, what I like, it's a competition, man. It's a competition. You get ousted. Someone gets ousted every week, okay? But it's not brutal. It's not cutthroat, okay? Instead, uh, when someone needs to borrow an ingredient, they give the other person an ingredient. If, some, if someone's cake is falling over, they all rush to help keep the cake from falling over. If you're done and someone else isn't going to get done on time, you go help them. We, our, our life should be a little more like the Great British Baking Show, Okay? <laughs> Um, uh, where, yes, competition is a reality of life, and it can be good because, you know, it, it raises all of us a bit, a bit higher, okay, until it becomes proud and selfish and, and, and you work against each other. But, but if we work together, okay, in genuine humility, being willing to be helpful to others, that's, that's loving a coworker right there. Another aspect of genuine humility is um, willingly submitting to authority, Paul wrote to slaves, to servants, and he told them to obey their masters, to submit to them with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Because remember, Jesus is your boss. And he's called you to love and serve your coworkers and your boss. And Jesus submitted to the point of death to his father. And so, with sincerity of heart, and remember... Your boss, Jesus, will reward you for that. He sees it. And so we need, we need to be willing to submit to authority, even pray for authority, even pray for our coworkers who are driving us nuts. I remember, um, you know, some things I, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to do anymore, but there's aspects of it I miss. So for years, I, I drove our boys, you know, to, to high school. So I, drove, I didn't like having to get up early and getting them, you know, to, to school, but but oftentimes we use that time to, pr- to pray. At least I would. They might have been sleeping. But um, I would pray out loud for them and say, hey, you know, Taylor and Lucas, you have no idea how if, if you would just smile and pay attention and talk to people, what a big difference that would make to them. And so let's pray for the principals and let's pray for the teachers and let's pray for your friends and let's get our heart and mind kind of set right as we go into this experience. And we, it, what's good for them is good for us, Right? What about us when we're on our way into work? And like, oh, all I feel is the dread and the pressure, and I'm going to run into this person. This guy drives me nuts, and blah, blah, blah. Or can we just say, God, help me to recognize you're my boss and, and, to, and to help me to humbly serve as you've served me so wonderfully and perfectly and, and, and help my boss. He's got a lot on him, and I pray that I can be patient and, and not reactive to the jerk I have to work with. You know, but to, but to love him. You know, Jesus washed Judas's feet. Come on. All right, help me to have that. Help God, I can't do without your spirit to give me your humility as I go into work. And then valuing and respecting everyone, not based on position or pay or power or prestige, but because every person is made in the image of God. And what everyone does is valuable. It's how God accomplishes his work in the world. Martin Luther said, God milks the cows through the vocation of milkmaids. And it has value. So really respect and value all people. That's genuine humility. Here's another whole area, and that is your mouth, your words, what you say. It's really important to guard your heart and your tongue. And here here are some ways that we need to use our tongue. First things you shouldn't do, things you need to rein it in. 
because it's so easy and natural, but it's so destructive uh, to healthy relationships at work. First of all, refuse to gossip about people. Refuse to badmouth, talk behind the back of coworkers and clients. But I thought that's what the little water break was for. <laughs> you know, these little tete-a-tetes, these little talks, you know, I thought, that's, I thought we, that's what we do on the job for fun, is we talk about other people behind their backs. How do you be salt and light and develop healthy relationships in, at work? Well, one is to guard your mouth in these things, okay? Instead of that, try this. Praise, compliment, appreciate, notice people's work, even say, thank you, powerful. But, but we learned that in kindergarten. Yeah, everything you really need to know about life you learn in kindergarten, you know. And, and so, yeah, thanking and praising and complimenting, try that this week. You might blow somebody's mind, okay? Tr- Secondly, uh, resolve not to complain. Resolve not to complain. Paul said in Philippians 2, do everything without grumbling or arguing or complaining. And guess what? If you do, what will you be? You'll be like stars shining in the universe. How can I be like a star shining in the universe at my work? Don't complain and argue, okay? This is all stuff that we can grab onto. That doesn't mean it's easy. Oh my goodness, what a temptation, you know? But the Spirit can help us with this, and if we follow these things by God's grace, because He's loved us so much, we'll make an impact in lives. And sometimes you do need to talk to people, but you need to find out about them. We can be so focused. Of course, your boss wants you to be focused on your work too, but he's smart or she's smart enough to know that there needs to be healthy relationships to be productive. And so getting to know people, asking questions about them, showing interest, caring, these are obvious things, and yet sometimes we can get into the absolute work mode and those all fall by the wayside. Jay Bell used to talk about friendly over function. You know, we gotta, put, we gotta be friendly. Well, at work you really gotta function, right? But that doesn't mean you gotta toss friendliness. Okay, the, the, try it this week, okay? See what happens. If we even, if, even if we submit to this idea to think, you know what? Jesus is my boss and he's called me to do what I do in order to, to love him better and to serve others better. Um, just that idea getting into your head and then and asking God for help to work that out in your context, whatever you do, that will make a difference. And guess what? It will change the atmosphere. It will be a display, a taste, a foretaste of the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we're going to go back and sing a little bit of that song that we sang earlier, Let Your Kingdom Come. And, and it's going to be the thing that, that permeates and pervades and transforms uh, even our workplace as we recognize that that is the arena where God is honored and glorified by what we do. So let's stand together. And as you sing, purpose in your heart to say, Man, I may, I, you know, maybe there's a coworker. Uh, I have an attitude that needs to be changed. And, and maybe there's a coworker, and I know they're discouraged and they're hurting, but help me have the courage to initiate that conversation. Uh, maybe I need to change my attitude towards my boss. What does God want to do in you so that you can go into your place of vocation and, and let it be a reflection of the coming kingdom of Christ?